Bless you, Charles. Charles, we love you so much. More than words can say, you are so dear and precious to us. Thank you for joining us on this day. We are, we are so honored. Father, as we take a few moments to think about the significance of this day, we pray that we would be able to celebrate, we'd be able to laugh, we'd be able to cry, we'd be able to pour our hearts out to you. At the end of the day when all of our celebrating is done, may we be firmly established in our faith. May we be so graced by you to have some of our questions answered perhaps. May some of our burdens be lifted, but may we all be further along in our journey um, toward the kingdom. Thank you for your goodness and the way you've loved us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. I want to talk to you today about this topic called the war over Easter. That may sound strange, um, but Easter is perhaps one of the most difficult Christian days to navigate. And I'll tell you why. Not because it's, you know, hard to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. No, Jesus' life was full of miracles. Not only what he did, but, I mean, the virgin birth, that's beyond our comprehension. And I tell you, the thing that's beyond even the virgin birth is the idea of living a sinless life. I mean, I've, I've tried it, and I can go for minutes. <clears throat> And then pride takes over that I'm being sinless. But to live a sinless life, the beauty of his substitutionary death, and then to be raised by the power of God, it's a phenomenal story. But Easter is difficult because the longer I live, I didn't catch on to it at first. But I found myself, when we came to Easter and Holy Week, I found myself often in a roller coaster of emotion. On one hand, there was great struggle, great difficulty. I thought for the longest, well, it's just, you know, it's just near tax day. That must be what's causing the, the, the communication breakdown. I didn't know. But before long, I mean, I, you think Easter and you go to your childhood and Easter, it's drilled upon you no matter what happens on Friday. Just give it a few hours, everything's going to be okay. And that's true in one sense of the word. But when we study the record of Holy Week and Easter, we find that the emotions of the disciples, even of our Lord, were so all over the place and so off the chart. Jesus knew that He had a mission. He knew that He had an appointment. He stuck with it, the Scripture says, because of the joy that was set before Him. That enabled Him to stay focused. But he went through the emotion of saying, Father, if there is any other way for your will to be done, let's try that option. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And you study the, um, the events of, the, of the, the days of Holy Week. Pastor Corey talked about that um, when we were uh, here for Good Friday. Um, the emotion of those days up and down, in and out, the threats, and Jesus ends up on the cross. There really is a war over Easter because it's, I've come to the conclusion that the battles we fight the week of Easter are not battles of faith. It's not a battle because we wonder if Jesus 
was really raised from the dead. It, it's not, it's, it's not a, a matter of weak faith. It's a matter that we are under assault. Jesus was under assault during Holy Week. The disciples were under assault during that Holy Week. And so that's why you see them going up and down. They're not wavering in faith, but they are in the midst of a battle. They are in the midst of conflict. They are in the midst of struggle. Now, that ought to remind us of something because even we that have been Christians a long time, when we come together for Easter, we don't celebrate with perfect faith. I mean, thank God we believe, and, and hopefully every year we're becoming more and more like Jesus, and our faith is being more refined, but all of us are a work in progress. And if we can understand that, we can understand the nature of what I'm talking about, this war over Easter. Now you say, well, Pastor, what, what do you mean our, our faith isn't perfect, or, or the church isn't perfect? Well, Bob Schmidgall, who uh, he's with Jesus now, he's a wonderful man of God, uh, pastored a very large church in Illinois. When I pastored in Illinois, I was talking to him one time about uh, just the challenge. I said, Bob, what's, what's been the greatest challenge of your ministry? And I thought he would have given me any one of a half dozen other answers. But he said, I think it's getting, I think it's getting the dynamic of Easter across. He said, I don't think people understand the suffering of Jesus. I don't think people understand what Easter did for us and sometimes we don't even know how to communicate. He said, like, for instance, our children's program on Easter. He said, we picked our best and brightest five-year-old to represent the children's department and tell the meaning of Easter. And he had rehearsed it and had it just down right. And everything was perfect until he stepped in front of thousands of people on that Easter morning. And this child that had it down like clockwork looked at that congregation and said, Easter? <laughs> then you hear the prompting, Easter is, Easter is the time of year when Jesus got killed and was put in the grave. Then from the side, what happened? Then Jesus came out of his grave and if he sees his shadow we have six more weeks of winter. Hey, can I tell you sometimes the, the cold glare of life can make us forget some of the facts of Easter? It was Bob that told me in their church they had had a phenomenal outreach to drug addicts and homeless people in the Chicago area. And they were so excited about their new faith that they wanted to be a part of the Easter celebration. And sure enough, there was a Middle Eastern man that had been homeless and on drugs. Now he's saved. And they said, he just looks like Jesus. He just looks like Jesus. So he got to play the part of Jesus. Here's a new Christian raw right off of the streets. And when his buddies realized he was Jesus, they wanted a part too. So they were assigned to be part of the mob that ridiculed Jesus as he goes to the cross. And everybody learns their lines. And at dress rehearsal, which is supposed to be like the real thing, 
Bob said he was looking out thinking how wonderful it is to see this presentation coming. He said, and here comes Jesus, there, there Jesus carrying the cross, coming down the aisle of the church. Bob said, I'm tearing up, it is so moving. He said, then all of a sudden you see the cross being slammed down. Jesus jumps into the crowd and they're duking it out. <laughs> they're fighting. They get them pulled apart. Now Jesus has more than fake blood. He has real blood. And when he got there, he said, what happened? Somebody said, I don't know. All I heard Jesus say, nobody talks about my mama that way. <laughs> and what had happened, this rough crowd, brand new to Christianity, brand new to the resurrection, we're told, the mob was said, you know, these are the kind of things they said to Jesus. Get into it. Play your part. Well, Jesus wasn't as sanctified as the pastor thought he was, and a fight started. <laughs> they got it all planned. It's too late to change Jesus. It's too late. To, you know, and the director said, this is good. You know, be enthusiastic in the things that you say. And Jesus, you've got to remember, you're God. You're, you're, you're on your way to the cross to die. You've got to act restrained. The guy says, all right. They shake hands reluctantly. The next night when the performance is real, Jesus comes down and the mob is saying the same things they did in dress rehearsal. But it looks like Jesus is going to pass him, Roy. He he's, passes the worst of the mob. And then everybody nearby heard Jesus look over his shoulder carrying his cross and say, I'll see you after the resurrection. And kept going. So, you know, you know, we laugh about that, but the fact of the matter is a lot of us have the same kind of crisis. We know, we know what Easter really is. Maybe it's the glare of the lights. Maybe it's the unexpected opposition Maybe it's any one of a dozen things, but we find ourselves on this Holy Week just being up and down. Now, I, I've never preached an Easter message like this, and I want to assure you that we're going to end this thing with the realization that everything Jesus said is true, and He is risen indeed. But I want to talk about Holy Week. I want to talk about the moments when you want to say, I'll see you after the resurrection. I want to talk about the moments when the lights seem to glare in your face so strongly that you just lose track of everything and you forget what you know in your heart. That's what's going on. In fact, the one passage of Scripture of all the dozens of verses that we could have read and would have been applicable for today, I picked out a passage of Scripture from the time that Jesus was praying before His trial and before the events of Good Friday. And I want to show you that what I'm talking about is true. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples followed Him. This is in your notes, Luke 22. On reaching the place, He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, this is our Savior. This is the one who never knew sin. I believe that his atonement 
began in the garden. And I know he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And everything he did was pointing to the cross. But I believe the actual event began in Gethsemane. He is beginning to feel the pressure of the sins of the world coming upon him. His sweat becomes mixed with blood and something incredible is going on in the heart of this pure man that has never had a lustful thought, never had a, a moment of vengeful action in his life. And all of a sudden the sins of every man, woman, boy and girl for all time are beginning to fall upon him. You say, well, yeah, but you know, I know, God bless him. But let's look at the disciples. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep. Now, why were they asleep? Were they just tired? They probably were tired. They'd had a busy week. But he had given them apparently a day of rest on Wednesday. There's more than just fatigue going on here. And we have it in verse 45. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. They were under attack spiritually. They were exhausted from sorrow. And Jesus said, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now guys, I just have three basic points I want to share. I want you to understand that what I'm talking about is a common infirmity. It's a common weakness. It's not unusual. I've tried to search history as well as the writing of contemporaries. And I am convinced that many men and women of God, many great men and women of God have these same kind of cycles and they don't always understand why. But I tell you what's behind it. It's there's an attack from hell on the veracity, on the truth, on the experience of Easter. Hell did everything it could to stop the events of Easter. And hell will do everything it can to stop our celebration and embracing of the events of Easter. There's an attack. There's an attack. There's, as I said, this confluence of two differing emotions. And if, if we don't find out how to handle this, we will end up with a shallow optimism that often misunderstands faith. Or we will have a lack of understanding of the victory that was phenomenal and was won through the, the work of the Lord. Let's look at this idea about it being an attack from hell. What do you mean exactly, Pastor, that it was an attack from hell? I believe the Psalms tell us that demons were attacking Jesus during this whole process. And they brought with them darkness. When the Bible says the disciples were exhausted from sorrow, that the kind of sorrow that the, that the enemy brings, brings with it a darkness. You know, most of us can handle just about anything as long as we know what's going on. You know, if you've ever, have you ever gone into surgery and the doctor says, now this is what it's going to be like when you wake up. This is what you're going to experience. This is the second day. Tomorrow's the third day. This is what you need to typically expect on the third day. Whenever something touches us, if we know what's going on, we generally do a pretty good job of handling it. But loved ones, I want you to know there wasn't much understanding going on during these days. It seems at times that Jesus was the only one that understood. Um, 
A.T. Robertson in his book, A Harmony of the Gospels, it's a book that I've, I've depended on for years. And I used to wonder why he called the Passion Week In the Shadows with Jesus. When I was a young man and read it, I didn't understand that. I said, Jesus don't dwell in shadows. And I forgot about that time where it talks about the deep, during the days of Moses, where the, it spoke of the deep darkness where God was. I don't like God dwelling in darkness. I like him to be in the light. I've tried to help him with this. I've tried to explain to him that if he would explain more to us, we'd have stronger faith. And so far, I've not been able to help the Lord understand that one bit. There are moments that we're in deep darkness. There are moments that we go through the dark valley. It's sort of like this. I don't know how many times in the Gospels something happened and then it says, then the disciples understood what Jesus had said to them. When Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples, Justin talked about this on Thursday night service. Um, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said something that was so typically true of all of us. He said, Peter, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you will understand. And loved ones, I just want to tell you from experience, sometimes the toughest places to be are when Jesus is up close and personal and Jesus is real, but we don't really understand what he's doing or why he's doing it. And it's because of darkness. And darkness is a breeding ground for doubt. Jesus was constantly confronting the measure of faith or the lack of faith in the minds of his disciples because the core of faith is trust. Jesus, oh, I wish I had time to really talk about what he's after when he's after um, the idea of faith. We as Pentecostals, we have a tendency to think that he wants us to have faith and it all revolves around getting my miracle. Or, or something like that, and we believe in miracles. But the very core, the very essence of faith is not about miracles. The very core and essence of faith is trust. It's trust. Now, sometimes it's, if you really have faith, miracles may come or miracles may not come, but trust stays intact. Uh, that, that's why it was Job that would put it this way. Even if he slays me, I will trust him. Even if he slays me, I will trust him. The three Hebrew children, when they were commanded to bow to the image of the king, they stated it very beautifully and profoundly when they said, we know that our God can deliver us from your hand. Then they made a second statement, and we believe that he will. But they went deeper than most of us are willing to go. And they said this, but if not, but if he doesn't, we will still put our trust in him. See, I've said for years, I think the thing that most Christians lack is an if not. Now, I, that's not to minimize the miraculous. It's not to minim, minimize, you know, a positive thought toward all that God is doing for us. But trust says, I will lean into him no matter where the path takes me. And boy, it's hard to do that. It really is. Now, you deal with darkness, that can generate doubt. And if you live in doubt for very long, it doesn't have to take long either, it can generate discouragement. 
I think maybe the most difficult movement of faith is to carry forward what you received on the mountain back into the valley. Let me put it to you this way. Sometimes God will speak to you so powerfully you go off to a Bible conference and you encounter God there. Phenomenal. Um, you come to Word, Spirit, and Power and uh, uh, you want Charles to lay hands on you but he can't even get close to you but God knocks you down anyway and gives you this phenomenal Word. Man, I've got it, I've got it. The only problem is that you've got to go to work the next day. And you've got to go home that night. And sometimes we're carrying these precious tablets, the Word of God written to us seemingly by the finger of God, and we cherish them, we love them. They still smell like the fragrance of God. But the problem is as you go down the mountain, you start approaching the valley and all that's down in the valley. And sometimes our response is to take the tablets and throw them down out of despair over what the difference is between the mountain and, and the valley. I tell you, one of the amazing things about Moses is that it says that the people of Israel built the tabernacle exactly according to the tabernacle, or, or the uh, pattern rather, that Moses received in the mountain. That's one of the reasons he was such a great leader. What he got in the mountain, he was able to carry to the valley. And that's, that's hard to do when you're discouraged. It really is. So they're walking in darkness, they're developing doubts, they're discouraged. And man, dis discouragement can be terminal if you let it turn into despair. Because despair is when we're so exhausted that we resort to the flesh instead of the spirit. Romans 8 is that classic passage of Scripture. There's now, therefore, no judgment or no condemnation, no judgment against katakrima. There's no judgment against those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We always have the choice. Are we going to walk in the flesh or are we going to walk in the Spirit? When we get in that place of despair, we default to the flesh instead of the Spirit. So that this week was so heavy. This week was so much of an attack that Thomas, who had been with Jesus uh, at least three years, probably longer, looks at Jesus and says, how can we know this? We don't understand what you're saying. If you just show us the Father, all of this would straighten out. Thomas was saying, if you just work another way, we would get this. And Jesus says, Thomas, have I been with you so long that you don't understand everything you're asking for is right here in me? You've looked at it every day? You say, well, okay, that sounds like despair. Or, or Simon Peter, who you think would have known better. That's why I know his last name was Chitty. He, he decides that instead of walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, he has a sword and he decides to cut off the ear of Malchus. That's what happens when darkness and doubt and discouragement and despair begins to, to circulate and begins to flood our lives. We, we get questions where it's difficult to understand. It's difficult to defend. See, they didn't understand all that was going on. They didn't understand what was taking place. You and I read the Gospels and we say, duh, Jesus was dead, but he said, in three days I'll be raised. But loved ones, the disciples didn't understand that. You say, well, that just shows I'm smarter than the disciples. No, it shows you've read the whole story. 
Now, that's good when you read the whole story. I remember one of my children, uh, we would read stories. We'd read a chapter a night, and there was one that was really particularly scary. It looked like the good guy was, was in for it. And my son decided that he was going to read ahead to the end of the book to be sure he wanted to finish this book. He found out that the good guy won, the bad guy lost. And I heard him one night as we were reading, he kind of laughed. It looked like the good guy was down and it looked like the bad guy was going to win. He was real arrogant saying he was going to win and be the, the new king or whatever it was. And my son laughed and said, old feller, if you knew what I knew, you wouldn't be so proud right now. <laughs> See, we've read the story. We know what's going on. But they were in the midst of it. And sometimes in the midst of it, you don't know what's going on. So it's difficult to understand. It's sometimes difficult to defend. We read the story. The crowd ridiculed him. The high priest mocked him. Even one of the thieves that was hanging on the, uh, to his side said, If you're really God, get us out and save yourself and us. There are some times that the, the, the lead up to Easter is so dark that it doesn't make sense. It can't be understood. It's not defended. And it's difficult to embrace because Christianity, let me tell you this about Easter. Easter requires responses that are counterintuitive. Easter requires us to think this way when everything in us tells us to think this way. And that's part of the life of faith. That's why Jesus said, bless those that curse you, honor those that mistreat you. That's why it's so puzzling why when James begins to write to us in chapter 1, in Philip's translation it says, when trouble and trials invade your life, causing a disruption of your plans, do not resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. I don't like that. I don't want them in my life. I don't want to welcome them. I want to re resent them. I've worked years developing the gift of resentment toward this trouble that floods my life. And God says, don't do that because God is doing something in you through these troubles and trials that cannot be accomplished any other way. That's hard. We, we, we don't seem to embrace that very well. It's difficult to embrace. I, I, I had not watched The Passion of the Christ in years. I watched it the year it came out. I watched it the first time in the theater just to see if I thought it was accurate. And then I watched it the second time on my knees and just cried through the whole thing. I hadn't watched it since then. I watched it this past week and it just it ripped me apart again. But at the end of the movie, just before the resurrection scene, Jesus is lowered from the cross and Mary, his mother, holds him in her lap, his head and shoulders in her lap. And the actress just did the greatest job in the whole film to me when she just looked away and, and she didn't say a word, but everything in her being was, what has just happened? Why? Has this happened? Who is responsible? When will this nightmare end? She didn't say a word, but her expression said all of that. That is the attack of hell. The next scene shows the stone rolling away. 
and everything changes. That tells us this, we're not only this week under attack from hell, but we're also being strengthened from heaven. Now this is where I want us to focus for a minute. God does two things for us. Number one, He gives us overwhelming evidence. But beyond that, because we have to have more than the evidence. I mean, the, the, own, the, the disciples struggled with the evidence when it was clear before them. We need our eyes opened. See, th this thing called faith is not a leap in the dark. But we must understand that it is from another dimension. Your mind can't figure out faith. My mind can't figure out faith. Anything I can talk you into, someone else can talk you out of. There has to be not only the overwhelming evidence, but it has to be seen with faith. It has to be seen with eyes that are opened by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, why do you call it overwhelming evidence? Well, the Bible uses this phrase. He was presented with by many infallible proofs. Uh, it, Paul would say this to the Corinthians. He said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are of all people most miserable. We are of all people to be pitied and we're still in our sins. Christians put all their eggs in one basket. Easter is not about a little sliver of Christians that say, well, we believe that the resurrection was literal. Paul said, if he is not raised from the dead, then nothing in the book matters. Yeah, we put everything into the resurrection. You remember me telling you about Oswald Sanders? I know I tell this about every Easter, but Oswald Sanders was preaching to his church and he said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, the water turned to wine doesn't matter. And he ripped the page out. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then the healing of the blind man does not matter. And he tore, he was tearing page after page after page after page. After. People were aghast. You don't do that to the Bible. He said, none of it matters if Jesus is not risen from the dead. He held it up, that tattered Bible, and he said, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then nothing in this book matters. Nothing. And then with everybody in shock, he leaned into the microphone and said, but if he is risen from the dead, then nothing except this book matters. What do you do with Jesus? Now you say, Pastor, I want to believe. I really do. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, this, this fight, this, this, um, this battle. I know what you're talking about, this darkness and doubt and discouragement and despair. I understand. And okay, he's given us evidence, but how do I know the evidence is real? Well, now you've come. I'm glad you asked that question. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's got to be something happening besides 15, 1,800 people, whatever, gathering today saying, yeah, I choose to believe the story. There has to be a level of conviction. There has to be a level of belief that is more than opinion. How does it come? It comes by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus told His disciples. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, and He's here now, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convince the world about the truth concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The world doesn't understand sin, righteousness, or judgment. 
the world thinks sin is somebody else's issue. That's why we compare ourselves to them. But sin that is damning is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. Do you know that if you go to heaven it won't be because of your good deeds? If you go to heaven it will be for one reason only, because you've accepted the mercy and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and did you know if you go to hell you won't go to hell because you're a murderer or a rapist or a druggie or a Laker fan? It, it, won't, it won't be for any of those reasons. A person that goes to hell goes to hell for one reason. Just as a person that goes to heaven goes for one reason, accepting Jesus, a person that goes to hell goes for one reason only. One reason only. And that is rejecting the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, I know there are descriptive phrases that talk about certain kinds of behavior that those who go to hell are guilty of. I, I understand that. But loved ones, just like a Christian does good works... The Christian doesn't do good works to get to heaven. They do good works because they're going to heaven. And just like a sinner does evil works, they're not going to hell because of their evil works. They do evil works because they're going to hell. So to sum it all up, it boils down, Easter boils down to this. The same question Pilate asked, what do you want me to do with Jesus? That's what, that's what Easter is all about. We celebrate because we believe. We believe because the Holy Spirit has enabled us to see truth that would be hidden to the natural life. You say, boy, I wish I could have the insight of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not a Christian. Let me tell you what the Holy Spirit does before you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit opens your eyes to truth. He opens your eyes to truth. And He gives you a divine, grace-filled moment to make a decision. Will I accept Jesus or will I reject Him? That's your first introduction to the Holy Spirit, most of you. That's your very first introduction. All the wonderful encounters of God. I tell you, you got to read Charles's book. It's amazing. But all the wonderful encounters of God that you can have, the first one is basically this issue with who is Jesus and what will I do with Him? It's time for us to go. So I'm going to ask the ministry team if they will move into position right now. And let me tell you the way we're going to end our Easter service today. The ministry teams will be in place to pray for you. Worship team is coming. They're going to lead us in worship. And in just a moment, just, just a matter of a couple of minutes, I'm going to dismiss you. You're going to be free to stay and worship as long as you'd like or as long as they, they hold out. Uh, same, same thing in Brown Chapel. But in both places, here and in Brown Chapel, there are going to be ministry teams at the front. And this is what we want you to know. If you are here and you want to say, I need Jesus as the forgiver of my sins. I want Jesus to become the Lord of my life. I'm going to ask you to go to one of these worship teams. Okay? And what the worship teams are going to do is if you say, I need Jesus, they'll explain to you the gospel. Go ahead, go ahead and move into place, teams. I need you there now. Um, my pastor used to say, receiving Jesus is as easy as ABC. The A is admit that we're a sinner. That's it. I don't have to have a lot of theology. I, we're not opening the doors for church membership. That's not what this is about. 
But if we can admit that we're a sinner and we've broken His law and we've broken His heart, that's the A. The B is a very simple concept as well, and that is believe. Believe with the help of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is the remedy for your sins, just as He's the remedy for mine. And the C was the word confess, which means just you know, name Him as your Lord. I, I accept Him. I confess Him as my Lord and Savior. You say, that just sounds too simple. Yeah, it does, and, and it is simple, but it's profound. He used to say it this way, the only thing you really need to know to get right with God is to know I'm a big sinner, and He's a big Savior. Everything else can be learned. Everything else can be grabbed, grabbed hold of. So when we dismiss, I'm going to ask you as others turn to go that way, before you go to lunch, before you join family for Easter celebration, if you want Jesus in your heart, please come to one of the ministry teams. They know how to help you, and they would love to pray for you. They won't pray, they, they won't keep you long, but they'll give you the best news you've ever heard. There may be others here, you say, well, I'm just, I'm not sure, Pastor, I'm not trying to be belligerent, I'm just not sure where I'm at on this. Make your way to the front just to grab, nobody's going to grab you when you come up here. There's a CD that we have available. They're right here uh, down where I'm pointing. It's a CD called Invitation. It's uh, a story uh, told by Lee Strobel who was an agnostic if not um, uh, an atheist. And he talked about his quest to disprove faith and he ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Phenomenal story. And he'll go into more detail for you. It's free of charge. Just pick one up on your way out. Now, you may be a Christian and you just you need prayer for other things. The team will minister to you as well. But would you stand with me, please? I want to pray a blessing over you before you leave. Again, if Jesus is calling you and you feel the call to come home to him, please come to one of the ministry teams. They'd be delighted to pray with you. If you have another need, prayer for healing or what have you, uh, deliverance, whatever you need, the teams are here to pray for you. If you have to go, go with the blessing of the Lord. If you have to go, go with the joy that the disciples discovered after that week of turmoil finally settled. Their declaration was, everything He said is true. Every word He promised, He delivered on. He is risen, risen indeed. Father, thank you for Easter. Thank you for our celebration. Over in Brown Chapel here in the main auditorium, we pray for folks to come to the knowledge of Jesus, to find the help of the Lord, and let us live in the victory of the Lamb. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. The altars are open. If you want to stay and worship with the ministry team, do that as well. God bless.